0: We return to Hebrews chapter 9. This morning we begin at verse 11 and consider through verse 14. Hebrews nine eleven to 14. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, he's there for us here. He's there for us here. 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience? from dead works, to serve the living God. Father, what a glorious declaration of the propitiation that is found concerning the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us then today, as we consider the profundity of the text, in light of the practical ramifications for life right here and right now. And for that, we will praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Modern fishermen on the Discovery Channel's popular show, Deadliest Catch, cut open a bait fish, drink of its blood and guts, and then bite off the head to ensure luck as each new commercial fishing season begins. That ancient custom is clearly founded upon pagan worship rituals. The very kind of pagan worship rituals that were absolutely dominating the area of territory in the world identified as the land of promise. Drinking blood, smearing blood on the face or the body, and blood sport to the glory of the gods are ancient and modern obsessions among large swaths Of sinful humanity. This is one of the reasons why God instituted special regulations for the handling of blood under the law as given to his people. But the most important reason for blood regulation under the law will be understood in the further explanation of today's text. Last week we saw together that the Spirit of God used the Old Testament tabernacle, its decor, and its operation to point to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We saw that God the Spirit signified, verse 8, that the way into the very presence of God was not to be found under the law, but rather in the Lord. The Holy Tent, and its righteous rituals, told a story or a parable, the word figure in verse 9. That story pointed to the future when the plan of God would culminate bringing, as it were, reformation, verse 10, or a making straight or a making right as the primary work of Messiah, even as we preached it to you just about an hour ago. The word reformation here means to make straight or to make right. And we can summarize the Savior's work uh, in the first advent by the idea of making right or making straight before God. In that, he fulfills all righteousness. Christ, verse 11, is not only a superior high priest than any of those that were serving under the law, but operates in a superior tabernacle, which is in heaven itself, before the actual throne room of God. Now the point of emphasis is made of our Lord's superior sacrifice, verse 12, by His own blood. And today we get to speak of the importance of the blood of Christ as specified In the scripture, we sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sing, I know a fount where sins are washed away. Uh, We sing, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. We sing a lot of blood songs. And some of you know that the liberal angle of the church in our modern era has uh, worked consistently to try to remove the offensive elements of blood from our hymnology and from the aspect of our our preaching. Nonetheless, we begin today an extended study of biblical hematology. Uh, It begins with this text, particularly at verse 12. And this emphasis of biblical hematology uh, will continue uh, throughout Uh, the next number of verses all the way through chapter 10 and verse 18. It strikes me that this emphasis is uniquely timed in the light of the world's pagan worship ritual normalized in our society under the umbrella called Halloween. It's amazing the growing pagan influences in modern society. There is a, uh, an advertisement, a commercial for uh, a pain uh, rub, uh, a pain cream, and uh, I don't know why, but I get interested in that stuff these days. But nonetheless, uh, uh, they're advertising pain cream, and there's two gals in ancient fighting each other, and uh, one pauses, and, and the other girl said, you giving up already? And uh, the girl said, no, but I have a, a pain in my arm, and I have uh, arthritis. And she flips her a tube of this pain cream, and, uh, and uh, she puts the pain cream on, and she says, well, thank the gods. And then the other gal says, don't thank the gods too quickly. I'm telling you, the gods mentality is growing big around the world. Boy, you and I better be serious about representing the one true God of heaven and earth. Now, I want to begin this morning with a little bit of an important Bible background for the declaration statements that we find in our text in Hebrews 9. It will help us to have a little bit of Bible background for our mutual understanding. First thing I want to say to you is this. Blood was made, of course, by God, and blood was made to be sacred by the one true God of heaven and earth. Turn with me, please, to the Old Testament book of Leviticus and chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17. Find, if you will, verse 11. Where we read of this bloody declaration. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I, says God, have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood. That maketh atonement for the soul. Verse 11. There is a creator designed relationship between physical life and blood. It's true for animals, it's true for mankind. From a scientific perspective, blood is liquid. Connective tissue. Blood is liquid connective tissue that links together all bodily function. The body's circulatory system is indeed vital. When your doctor checks your vitals, he checks your blood's functionality and flow without blood flow to carry oxygen throughout the body, life, physical life, ends. And that is what is involved in the opening statement of verse 11 for the life of the flesh, the life of the body, the life in the physical man is in the blood. But that's not all God said. God said more. He said more concerning blood and more concerning blood beyond its physical necessity. God gave blood regulation upon an altar as a means for Jewish people to make a covering for their sinful souls before him in worship. And so God is the creator made blood. God is the creator made blood to be something more significant than just physical necessity. God said, I have given it. I have given blood to you upon the altar. "...upon the altar as prescribed at Sinai to Moses and carried forward in the operation of priests within the tabernacle." God said, "...I have given to you blood upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood..." that maketh an atonement for your souls. It is the blood that maketh atonement for your souls. Now, it's important to hear that right. It is only the blood that makes atonement for your soul because God said so. It is not nothing to do with the magical power of blood. There is no magical power in blood absolutely zero, absolutely zip. So the next time you go fishing, if you want to cut open the belly of a fish and drink its blood, I think you're foolish. That's what pagans do. That's what uninformed people do. That's what people do that that don't know the Lord. God made all things, and certainly he made blood. And God made blood to be a significant Liquid, connective tissue for all viability and life. Animal life and human life. Life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. Covered in verse 11a. But then God did more with blood than just make it a physical necessity. God said that blood, ritualistically upon an altar, would serve his people as a covering for their souls concerning their sins. God gave blood regulation upon an altar as a mean for the Jewish people to make a covering for their sinful souls before Him at worship. Under the law, that was done. Verse 12, Therefore I said unto the children of Israel... No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. No blood eating. Don't eat the blood. Don't drink the blood. The Jewish nation was given further regulation not to drink the blood, not to eat the blood, and not to allow for it, even among strangers, within the land of promise. Now, if I said to you, don't drink bleach, don't drink bleach, don't drink bleach, Uh, most of you would know uh, that in saying to you, don't drink bleach, uh, I am trying to say something uh, so that you would not be physically harmed. But God's admonition to his people, don't drink blood, don't drink blood, don't drink blood, has nothing to do with the fact that there's a relationship uh, to drinking blood or eating blood and physical harm, even though many Jewish people today think there is. Not true. When God said to the Jews, don't eat blood, it was because blood rightly applied, before God, as prescribed, would help God's people. And so the reason why the admonition comes, don't drink it, don't drink it, was an indication that the help of God was on the way. Don't drink it because the help of God is on the way for your soul. So it's interesting when you look at the aspect of the great contrast between the Old Testament emphasis and the New Testament emphasis because the Old Testament can be characterized this way. Don't drink the blood. 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 blood. New Testament. This is the blood of the New Testament. Drink ye all... Of it. The gospel of Christ is uniquely described as eating Him or drinking His blood as shed at the cross. Thus, in our text, Leviticus 17, we go on to read 13 14. And whatsoever there be of a children of Israel or of strangers that sojourn among you, which hunteth and catcheth any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore said I unto the children of Israel... Ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off from worship in the congregation of the righteous. Blood drinkers were not allowed in the congregation of Israel. They were cut off from participating in worship services with the one true God within the nation. It wasn't because of some magical quality of blood inherent, but because God chose blood as the way in which men would understand connection to the covering of their own sins ritualistically in external worship. So in summary, blood was made by God to promote the sanctity of physical life. And blood was made to be sacred for the purpose of righteous participation in worship. Those two things come together out of the Old Testament law. So the law says, don't drink it. The the Lord says, drink it. The law says, don't drink it. The Lord says, drink it. The the law says, don't drink blood. Uh, Drinking blood has nothing to do with the idea of you uh, being right before God Under the law, okay, but in the Lord, uh, taking him in, uh, eating of him, drinking of him, believing in him is the way in which you take in the reality of the Lord's sacrificial one-time death for you at Calvary uh, as it relates to personal uh, acquisition. It's it's just a beautiful contrast. It's a beautiful contrast. And uh, you needed to see that in the context of the Old Testament scriptures under the law. Okay, back to Hebrews chapter 9. And picking back up and then with the aspect of our text, we say, based upon verse 12 of our text, we say it wasn't about the blood of goats or the calves, but the Lord's own blood. You see that emphasis, verse 12. He enters in not again and 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 again by the thousands of times, as was true under the law. He enters in once he enters into the very holy place, the very holy of holies, the actual presence of the Almighty, the throne room of God, having obtained at the cross by resurrection and ascension eternal redemption, and two of the most blessed words in all the Bible, for us. The blood of sacrificial animals was appointed by God for use in Jewish worship as a means of external or ceremonial purity. So it says, verse 13, For if the blood in bulls, of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer were in sprinkling the unclean, sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh. If or since the blood of bulls and, and, and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkled does sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. What does it mean to have purified flesh? It means that your external man is fit for public worship. The Jewish people knew that no bloody uh, expression of, of goats and bulls at an altar would actually deal with the internal reality of their sin. But they did know that by the external performance of sacrifices in obedience, their faith was exercised in the fact that God would send a better way. And in that the testimony was raised that they were fit for participation publicly in the congregation of Israel. Now as we read back in Leviticus, uh, 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 most uh, 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 of the Jewish people uh, uh, were told uh, in the day of Moses that uh, uh, wild animals uh, could certainly be hunted and eaten uh, with the provisions as read, but bulls and sheep and goats and the like uh, could only be sacrificed for, uh, I should say, should be slaughtered for sacrifice in the sanctuary. Let me say it one more time. Uh, uh, there was hunting allowed of wild some wild animals that were approved under the law to eat. But nobody ever uh, slaughtered a cow to eat it in Jewish practice in the land of promise. No one ever ever killed a sheep to eat it. There were no slaughtering of domestic animals in Israel of old allowed, except animals slaughtered in in sacrifice in relationship to the tabernacle, the sanctuary. God's insistence of sacrificial blood at his appointed altar not only drew a line between truth and error in relationship, as we've already mentioned it, regard to paganism, but it became a part of the parable, verse 9 of our text, became part of the figuring, verse 9 of our text, pointing to the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, look at verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him, that did the service perfect or whole, as pertaining to the conscience. Nonetheless, God's insistence upon sacrificial blood from animals at his appointed altar drew the line between the truth of blood and the errors concerning blood, but also became a part of a story, also became a part of the figure, became a part of the parable pointing to the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to verse 13, animal sacrificial blood under the law sanctified the worshiper externally in the flesh, but could not, verse 9, sanctify the worshiper completely as pertaining to the conscience or the inward man. Think about a person who really, really, really wants to get baptized in a Baptist church. And they go and they say, what do I have to do to get baptized? And you say, well... Uh, you have to put your faith in Jesus Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's first, and then be baptized as a testimony to that reality. Well, what if you meet a person that says, oh, I did that. You did? Yeah. I prayed a prayer. I trusted grace. I believe on the Lord. Will you baptize me now? Well, we work with that to try to ensure the reality of their faith? But if a person continues to say, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. I'm saved, I'm saved. At some point in time, we have to take them at their word. And then when that person enters into the waters of testimony, into the waters of baptism, we put them down, we bring them up in testimony to the Lord's sacrificial death for our sins and resurrection on the third day and ascension to glory. But what if the person we dunk is not actually saved? will the baptismal water do anything for them? One thing. Make them wet. All we would do is make a person like that wet. And there's no eternal benefit in getting wet, even if you get wet in baptismal water. Baptismal water only has significance when there is the reality of faith in Christ. Likewise, the blood of animals was an external testimony like the waters of baptism. It was an external testimony to that which was going to be fulfilled in God's promise of Christ. And what the text says in Hebrews is just as hollow as baptism without salvation, so as Jewish ritual of bloody animal sacrifices apart from the reality, the substance, which is Jesus Christ. And so how were the Old Testament people saved? Because they faithfully sacrificed animals in bloody sacrifice? No, they were saved by faith in God's promise to save. But their participation in the external uh, sacrifices, uh, worked to sanctify the flesh, sanctify the external man. Just like baptism sanctifies or testifies to the external reality of one's faith in Christ. But if they don't have faith in Christ, all they get is wet. And if you don't have faith in Christ back there, all you've done is kill an animal and apply his blood at the altar and then eaten of the flesh as God allows. But in reality, hasn't done anything for the soul of such a person if in fact that all they ever did was to complete the external uh, reality uh, without the internal reality in the inner man. Animal blood was the temporary means to show forth oneself as a worshiper of the one true God. But the blood of animals and sacrifice never dealt with the guilt of sin within, ever, ever. And so then the point that is being made in this section of uh, biblical hematology, beginning at verse 11 and uh, this morning running through verse 14, uh, is uh, going to build upon the thought that the sacrificial blood of Christ, as shed at the cross, is superior in degree and actual effect before God, this is the ultimate and permanent provision of God for sinful man. We do not come to God with the blood of animals at an earthly altar as prescribed under the law. But we come with the blood of Christ as applied at the heavenly altar by the resurrected and ascended Lord our great high priest. Therefore, as verse 9 says it, he has obtained eternal redemption for us. In verse 14, what a verse. Verse 14, no less than seven, distinctive things said about the Lord Jesus Christ. The profundity of this single Christological verse is staggering upon meditation. The blood of Christ is referenced as profoundly superior in that His human nature enabled Him to die, and His divine nature gave to that shedding of blood value beyond all. Comprehension. God cannot die, but Christ did. God has no blood to shed, but Christ does. And in the death of Christ, the divine nature brought to that shedding of blood value beyond our full comprehension. The blood shed was the blood of the God-man. Hence, this particular verse 14 starts out, How much more the blood of Christ. Value beyond human description. So because I can't, I won't. I'm just going to move on. Second thing here. The Spirit of God's role in the Old Testament sacrificial system was purposeful and clear, but the Spirit of God was direct in His facilitation of God the Son become man for eternal sacrifice. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit... We preached last hour concerning the unique and distinct connection between God the Son and God the Spirit. Here, God the Son offers His one-time sacrifice as facilitated by God the Spirit. Thirdly, God the Son became man, offered himself. The word is offered himself. And he offered himself at one time in sacrifice willingly. Animals were indeed passive victims. They indeed were done unto. But Jesus actively offered himself in sacrifice for our sins. Offered himself, says verse 14. Fourthly, Christ was the most perfect sacrifice in that he had not one spot or blemish of sin when he became sin for us. Fifthly, The effect of his purging or cleansing sacrifice deals eternally with the guilt of human sin. His sacrifice is sufficient for all, but effective only to those that believe. The cleansing of Christ, the purging of Christ, directly impacts the human conscience. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That concept is clear in the Scripture. Sixth, the believer in Christ is delivered from dead works, having been created in Christ unto good works, which God has ordained that we should walk in them. And seventhly, the present reality of this amazing grace from God through Christ is that we actually serve the living God. This is what Paul calls our reasonable service. And just stop to think about this as the hour ends, that the believer has an actual opportunity to present themselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto thrice-holy God. The text presents us no option. It presumes upon the fact that any person with such a glorious standing before God in actual righteousness before the verdict of God's throne would indeed be motivated to serve the living God. Jesus said it this way, To whom much is given, much is required. May God help us all to hear fully and to act faithfully, even as our text prescribes. Oh, the blood of Jesus, it washes white as snow. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. I know a fount. Where sins are washed away. I know a place where night is turned to day, And it's all connected to the blessedness. Of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved. Please, please. Please, this week ahead, let's talk about Jesus. Let's make our thoughts, our minds, our hearts focused upon our blessed Lord. Father, thank you for the occasion this morning. Help us to be a responsive people to your honor and to your glory. Flood our minds with thoughts of thee, thy son, thy indwelling spirit, that we might walk before you in truth and raise the glorious testimony of Christ day by day over the coming days of this new week. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.